0: Before we start the show, a reminder to follow all of our political reporting on the NPR One app. That's O N E. You can find all your favorite podcasts, including Car Talk. That's right, Car Talk. Not just on your radio, also available as a podcast. With advice, tips, troubleshooting, and occasionally answers to car questions. Get Car Talk now on the NPR One app or at npr.org podcasts.
1: Okay, here's the show. Hey y'all, it's the NPR Politics Podcast for Friday, November 4th, four days from election day. Woohoo. I'm Sam Sanders, Campaign Reporter. I'm Domenica Montanaro, Political Editor.
2: And I'm Jessica Taylor, political reporter. Hey Jessica. Hey.
1: Nice to have you here today. Thanks,
2: Sam. Uh, Good to be we, here. We
1: brought you here for a reason. You are a resident expert on down ballot races and I want to talk about that today cuz want to know about it.
2: It's they they're exciting people. <laughs> they matter. They matter a lot. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Probably more than the presidential race in some ways. Yes, yes, yes. We'll get to all of that. And so before we go there, um, I want to talk with you Domenico about how the race seems to be tightening a bit, but even before that, I want to talk about a number that I've been a little bit focused on today. The um, latest snapshot of the economy, this is the last one we'll get before the election, came out Friday morning. The government found that employers have added 161,000 workers in October. The official rate of unemployment has dropped to 4.9% that's a really good number. And in usual election years, that kind of number can be predictive of what party might do well. And this year, it seems like people care less about this measure.
0: You know, I think it's just another one of those numbers that people use to try to think about where the election might go. Right. And I think the thing that uh, really, I think, changed a lot of people's thinking about the unemployment number was the fact that President Obama got reelected when the unemployment rate was 7.9%. Was in which, 2012, right? In 2012. And that was the highest in a very long time since the Great Depression. You know, FDR had been reelected with higher unemployment numbers, but since then, not that high. That, I think, told a lot of people that the depths of the Great Recession and the fact that the country had climbed out of it fairly consistently, that improvement in a certain direction you know, that's something that people had to take in consideration rather than just the raw number.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there are still concerns that lots of Americans have about the wages they earn, not feeling that they're increasing. All the wages have been going up recently. Um, and people just still feel pretty insecure about the economy overall.
2: I think that's the places where you're seeing Trump is doing well. These people, they look at my own kitchen table issues in Ohio, you know, places in Pennsylvania pockets in Michigan, Wisconsin, like that's where he has a chance to do well, and that can actually help some of the Senate and House races, too, that we'll talk about later.
1: Exactly. So let's talk a little bit now about the race narrowing. Um, We talked yesterday about how important New Hampshire is. The last 24 hours, we've kind of found out that New Hampshire looks increasingly like a toss-up. This is supposed to be a part of Hillary Clinton's firewall. Domenico, what's going on there? Why is this race tight all of a sudden? And is it really that tight? Well, you know, there's
0: a couple theories of the case. It's like, have polls since Hillary Clinton had a big lead shown a tightening? Absolutely. But has this race fundamentally changed or tightened? Maybe not. Uh, if you were to look back at some of our earliest indicators of how people felt about both of these candidates coming out of the primary and even before that, their numbers have been pretty stable. So what I think you've sort of seen a little bit here is, uh, I have this kind of rubber band analogy, and I understand we're on the radio and I can't show you how how, how my hands will be moving. I will tell them I, how your hands are moving. I, I am Italian, so the hands are always moving. Right not Domenico's hands are moving. I will just tell you that this race has probably always been something of a three or four point race. You know, President Obama won by four points in 2012, mm-hmm. hotly contested race. When you've got the race sort of parallel to each other in a way that it's like three or four points, and then every time Donald Trump said something that was hotly controversial or outrageous. And those Republicans in the suburbs who were kind of leaning against voting for him, you saw the sort of rubber band sort of widen a bit. Now it's Hillary Clinton's lead. Suddenly, a whiff of email news comes out and bang, they snap back. So I think that's a little bit of what you're seeing. I mean, that's the thing that I wrap my head around to think that I feel like I can make the most sense of what has been between that consistency, some
1: volatility. So they're snapping back now.
0: Yeah, it seems like they're snapping back, that they're coming home. There is a degree of natural tightening that happens closer to election day. You've also seen Gary Johnson's number decline. He had been at a high of nine, 10, 11 percent mm-hmm. in some polls. You look now and he's down around, you know, four five, three percent in a lot of places. So he's consistently gone down. And Donald Trump's gotten back some of those folks. Of course, the email news came out last Friday. Yes. And it's unclear just how much of an impact that has had. And we've talked about you have to wait a week, week and a half. We don't have that don't time. Have time. And I think in this meantime, we've seen the polls tighten. Do they edge out a little bit by
2: election day? Who knows? But we are basically
0: where we've been. Your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I think one thing to, when we're t- looking at the tightening of the polls too, the thing that I keep hearing from Republicans is ground game. They, are, they have
1: a less robust ground game yeah, than them. Yeah, I mean, them, the, right?
2: R- Republican, the RNC is out there saying we're, we're going to be fine. Everything is great. Every single Republican strategist, especially that are looking largely at House and Senate races, they are just so worried. They're like, there's nothing there. Like, where some of these state parties we're going to have to rely on. We've had to create our own. Um, and they are just so worried about this because they're like, the Democrats are outpacing us. Because typically what we see in a presidential election, presidential, the House, the Senate campaigns, they all work together. That has not happened with the Trump campaign. They did not build a ground game that we saw. That, like Romney had one, McCain had one, they sort of left this up to the RNC. And, you know, that can be one or two points on election day.
0: That can be. And I think that that's an important point. Uh, Organization is going to be something that we see if the RNC being able to supplement the Trump campaign in places like Florida and Ohio, if it really works. Now, the one state that I keep looking at. And I, I, you know, I'm moving uh, everything I'm going to move. I'll give you a sneak peek of our battleground map that we're going to have on Monday. But everything that I'm going to move is going to be in Trump's direction, except for Nevada, where I'm going to move that from toss up to lean D. Hmm. And that's because as you get closer to Election Day and Clinton seems to have a narrow, consistent edge, there, very narrow, consistent edge. But it's not that hard to organize in Nevada. It's one county. It's Clark County, where Las Vegas is. They know where all of their voters are. They know how to run this turnout operation. And Democratic Senate leader Harry Reid is going to do everything he possibly can. The Clinton campaign knows how to turn out these voters. You have a very high Hispanic population. You have a significant African-American population. This is a place where if you are going to push something in one direction for Clinton, that was a toss-up. It
1: would be nevada i think yeah so another thing that's going to affect turnout are some of these state races want to talk about some of those now so right now republicans control the house and the senate how could that change
2: So Democrats, in order to win back the Senate, they need to win five seats in order to flip it. Or if they just win four and Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, then uh, future Vice President Tim Kaine would be the tiebreaker. Um, In the House, Republicans have their largest majority since World War II. They almost sort of maxed out their possible seats last time in the 2014 uh, midterms. Democrats have to have 30 seats in order to flip back the House that that they lost in 2010. And while that doesn't sound like a lot, that is just an immense uphill climb because when we're looking at this sort of universe of competitive races, it's less than 10 percent of the 435 that are up every two years. And, you know, I have a list of top 40 um, that I did last week on our website. And I was being pretty generous even putting some really? of those. And I think, you know, even in, um, you know, as we've seen the presidential race tighten, that's had an effect down ballot, too. And even some of those races, I think, have largely moved in Republicans' favor. So we're talking about even fewer seats. I mean, Democrats would have to essentially run the table to get to 30 no Democrat House Democrat that I've talked to in the past two years even thinks that this has been possible. Um, Let alone
0: the last week.
2: Yeah, definitely not the last (laughs) week. I mean, even even when, you know, again, Clinton was riding high at the beginning of the month. 20 was maybe sort of the optimistic view. I thought they could possibly get to 20. 12 to 15 would be a pretty good night.
1: So knowing that landscape, what are the races to watch on Tuesday?
2: So let's start with the Senate. There's one that is completely gone at this point for Republicans, Illinois. Um, It's Mark Kirk represents the blue estate um, that a Republican holds, and um, he has not run a great campaign. He had just a major flub, in fact, last week at a debate where he called into question Democratic Congressman Tammy Duckworth. He called into question sort of her heritage and her military service in a very um, questionable way. And that one was already gone. Wisconsin, I've always had sort of as the next one to flip, but something really interesting has been happening there in the past week. They've sort of seen movement in this state, and I think that's because you do see Trump doing a little bit better there um, with, you know, sort of the more blue collar areas of the state. You know, I think that it's probably still a little bit too late and the Democrats have a slight edge there. But then there are... 5 or 6 that are just so hard to predict that really I you know it's it's a coin flip Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Missouri, and Nevada and Indiana. When you look Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, and North Carolina and and Nevada are going to be heavily influenced by the presidential race. These are all states that um well, President Obama won all of these except for North Carolina. Uh, four, four years ago, he won North Carolina in 2008. Pennsylvania, I think, is probably the next likely to go. We have seen Trump struggle here a little bit more. New Hampshire, too. I mean, this one has just been completely tight the entire time. We talked about New Hampshire tightening up in the presidential race. We are seeing the exact same thing in the Senate race. Kelly A. out running against Democratic Governor Maggie Hassan. And uh, Nevada is really the Republicans' only offensive opportunity. Every other state we're talking about, they are playing defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nevada, they had sort of high hopes again they would love to sort of claim reed seat it would be a moral victory as well Mm -hmm. but they are not encouraged at all by the early vote numbers that are going on there and uh, attorney general former attorney general catherine cortez masto if she wins she would actually be the first latina ever elected to the senate um but missouri republicans told me last week like this one is gone it's Counted off. But again, it's tightened. This is the one state where Trump could actually help Republicans. And then Indiana, a state that none of us had on our list at all until July when Democrats convinced their nominee to drop out, convinced former Democratic Senator Evan Bayh to jump in the race then. And suddenly this got on the map. Uh, Republican Senator Dan Coats is retiring. They have Republican Congressman Todd Young thought it would be sort of a cakewalk. This is a Republican state, obviously. And Bay started this race. I mean, he is the the by name is Political Gold in the Hoosier State, and he started this race with a double-digit lead that has completely evaporated. He has run just a very bad race, really. Really?
1: But he has done this before. Why was it so bad?
2: He's um He left six years ago, and you know he's gone Washington. He <laughs> bought a multimillion-dollar home in Georgetown. He started working for a lobbying firm, did uh, not register as a lobbyist, but working for a lobbying firm. And he got just, his
0: address wrong.
2: Yeah, when they, he, asked, he, him about they asked him about his address. He didn't, he didn't know in his Indiana. address in Indiana. And, yeah. So there's a Indiana poll that came out today, actually, that now has um, Young up. And gotcha. um, the momentum is with them. Republicans feel the best that they have felt about this race.
1: Yeah. So if we end up with the dim Senate, which there's a chance, and a Republican House, which is a big chance that that stays, what does that mean for the next president, Trump or Clinton? <laughs> gridlock. 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 <laughs> yeah. Get used to that word. Yeah.
0: I mean- I think we're already used to the word. Uh, More used to it. Yes, I it's think not it's, going away. It's uh, it. You know, it's something that's gripped Washington over the last, you know, ten years or so. And I think that that's essentially where we're going to be at. I think because of polarization in this country, what you're going to wind up seeing is the Republicans who wind up losing in the House. Are going to be people who were closer to being moderate than, uh, you know, pro-Trump or more conservative. So Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, is going to be left with an even more conservative conference than he has currently. Democrats are where they are. You're likely to have uh, not much that winds up getting done, uh, regardless of who wins.
2: And I mean, Republicans are essentially campaigning on this in a way. Their their argument to sort of blunt this is. Elect Republicans, we will be a check and balance on Hillary Clinton. They are saying if you do not want Hillary Clinton's agenda to go through, if she wins, elect Republicans. And that just almost ensures gridlock is going to be happening.
1: Now, if Trump wins, there's a good chance that he could have a Republican House and Senate. Yep, That would mean that lots of stuff gets done.
0: Potentially, there could be some bills that would get through to uh, a President Trump. But Democrats would still have the ability to filibuster almost everything that he does. Now, what would be fascinating is with the Supreme Court, what winds up happening if that were to take place, because a President Trump has the opportunity to name not just one, but potentially up to four Supreme Court justices uh, that could potentially reshape the court for a generation. How do Democrats respond? How do Republicans respond?
1: Okay, time for a break so I can process all this information. We'll be right back support for this podcast and the following message come from wonder capital asking what if you could help combat global climate change and make money at the same time introducing wonder capital the award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest in solar energy projects you can earn up to 8.5 percent annually while diversifying your portfolio best of all wonder capital doesn't take any fees for investing your money create an account for free at wondercapital.com npr wonder capital do well and do good all right in other news today new jersey we got a verdict in the bridgegate trial this is the case where aides to new jersey governor chris christie were accused of plotting to shut down the george washington bridge in september 2013 that still baffles my mind that, that happened but right? whatever it's jersey man <laughs> come on
2: but in context of everything this year, it's yes, yeah, yeah. So
1: they wanted to create massive gridlock in the town of Fort Lee, New Jersey. This was political retribution against the mayor of Fort Lee, who refused to endorse Chris Christie in his reelection bid. Uh, So Bridget Ann Kelly, Christie's former deputy chief of staff, and Bill Baroni, who's a former senior official at the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. They both faced nine counts of conspiracy and fraud. They were found guilty on all counts. So they could face 86 years in prison. But, I mean,
2: no, right? Prosecutors have said they're not pushing for that much. I think they'll only end up probably getting a few years in prison.
1: Yeah. So this is another blow to a man that, kind of used to be one of Donald Trump's top surrogates, Chris Christie. He's been laying low for a while since this scandal flared back up. But for the last several weeks, if not months, he's been in charge of Trump's transition team to the White House should Trump win. What does this mean for Chris Christie's role in the last few days of the election?
0: Right. And we should say that Chris Christie has not been implicated in the scandal. Uh, He released a statement that said, I had no knowledge prior to or during these lane realignments, uh, and no role in authorizing them. No believable evidence was presented to contradict he, that fact. Did he call them lane realignments? He called them lane realignments. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. They are realigned quite often, I will say. Uh, closed might be what a lot of others would say about yeah, this one. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Um, Look, Chris Christie, no one started out higher. I mean, if you think about like 2013 where Chris Christie was and everybody was pointing to a Hillary Clinton, Chris Christie race and
2: pushing him to run in 2012.
0: Right. And he didn't. And, uh, you know, but because he's a moderate, quote unquote, from New Jersey, maybe he could move the map in a way that Republicans hadn't been able to do. This has got to be the nadir for him of his political existence and might be the end of his political career because he's term limited as governor. There's nothing else that he could really run for that's immediate uh, unless he were to try to run for president in 2020 if Donald Trump were to lose. And this is hanging over his head. Oh, yeah. uh, I think it makes it very, very difficult for him. We also know that he you know, was very close to Donald Trump. A lot of people talked about him being potential vice president,
2: attorney general, maybe.
0: Right? Well, there's that, right? I mean, if Trump were to win now, how does he put him? you know, as AG if uh, that's what he wants to do? Um, or how would he get through a Senate confirmation, mm-hmm. even if he appointed him? So I think that it's, it's very difficult for him. This is somebody who could have wound up as Donald Trump's vice presidential pick and imagine what these verdicts would have meant had Trump decided to put him on the ticket instead of Mike Pence. And today is uh, November 4th. Four days before the election.
2: I mean, his stock was incredibly high. Yeah, I mean, we all we all thought he would be a major player here in the race, um, in the primary earlier this year. I think his probably biggest achievement was that he managed to take Marco Rubio down in that New Hampshire oh, I had debate. Forgotten
1: about that. Yeah,
2: and um, you know, even Donald Trump, he was hitting him last year, saying, "Oh, you know, he knew about this and everything too." So you know, Donald Trump's changed his uh, mind on this too. And I remember what a big deal it was when Christie endorsed him. We were all standing yeah. there, like watching this, just shocked.
0: You know that that Rubio
1: Christie debate was like a stop hitting yourself moment it's like he's repeating himself
0: he's doing it again He's doing it again
1: <laughs> all right um, before we go Hillary Clinton's gonna be at a rally slash concert with Jay-z in Cleveland tonight there are rumors that have not been confirmed that Beyonce might be there
0: do you have any inside information on this I mean
1: all I know she didn't is call you I listen I saw one of her shows in Baltimore thought it was great she did not bring me on stage or talk to me whatever <laughs> um, Shame. Uh. but I personally don't think she performs. She was already at the Country Music Awards this week. She only gives us glimpses of her greatness every now and then. But that said, this is clearly um, trying to get out young and minority voters. Yeah, Do things like this work this late in the game?
0: I think it's key. I mean, this is one of the, the moments for a campaign to get out voters who are crucial to their hopes. I mean, black voters, they are a key pillar to the Democratic Party and to uh, Hillary Clinton's chances. Now, look, if you're going to compare. How black voters turn out to what they did for Barack Obama, that's probably not the right thing to do. The Clinton campaign has known that they would likely not get the same share of the vote, the same margin of victory potentially from black voters, but they know the margin that they need to turn them out. And part of that is having these kinds of concerts, uh, you know, all these kinds of like big early voting events. I mean, these are you're gonna have political operatives at those events trying to get people to the polls to vote.
1: You know, and just talking about black vote. We have been hearing all week that uh, an early voting turnout, it's been down and that they are expected to vote in lower numbers, like you said, Domenico, than 2012. But it's worth mentioning that even as black voter turnout might be lower this year, you have to keep in mind that it's harder in lots of places full of black people to vote this year. There are fewer places to early vote. States have tried to put restrictions in place around voter ID all throughout the country. It is actually harder to vote as a black person today than it was four years ago.
0: That's absolutely true. I mean, you look specifically at North Carolina, where the polling places were decreased by quite a bit. And I think we should also take a step back here for a second and not try to predict whether or not the black vote will be, uh, you know, how high it will be or to read too much into early voting potentially, because, you know, there's, there's a theory of the case that in Florida, for example, where, uh, you know, everyone's talking about the African American vote, not quite being as high, but the Latino vote being higher than it had been. It's a much bigger pool of voters this time around, uh, some 60%, six, zero, uh, percent of voters in Florida are expected to vote early this time. Only 40% did so in, uh, 2012. So if you were to have that many more people vote and the black share of the electorate remains the same, you're it's going to look like fewer voters. Now, in North Carolina, it is true that it's been harder it's hard. for them to vote. Now, do they show up in the numbers
1: on election day? Uh, that's what the Clinton campaign is hoping they will do. Also, comparing numbers to numbers, We have to point out, in 2012 and 2008, uh, black voters had record turnout, and in 2012, black women, as a demographic group, the proportion of black women voting... Was higher than any other group of people, and so we have to understand that the conversation right now needs to include that part of the conversation. Oh, too. and and black women are like one of the absolute
0: stalwart key groups behind Hillary Clinton.
2: You've seen her out there with the mothers of the movement, talk, yes. you know, really sort of hitting on Black Lives Matter and and talking about these policing issues, and that is what drives a lot of black women to the polls. Um,
0: I think the crucial point here is that uh, even as The lead has, quote unquote, tightened or the race has, quote unquote, tightened. Uh, The key has always been that for Hillary Clinton, she has a much wider path to 270 electoral votes than Donald Trump has had. And what you've seen in this final week is the Clinton campaign trying to batten down the hatches and say, "Okay, if we get all of our folks out, we win. You know, and that's why you look at this blue wall that they've created, places like Michigan, Wisconsin. Pennsylvania; Those all have key, crucial uh, African-American voters in, in uh, places like Milwaukee and Detroit and Philadelphia. And guess where Hillary Clinton is going? Philadelphia a couple times. Barack Obama is going to Philadelphia. She's going to be in Detroit. It's very clear they feel like they will win as long as they get their groups out. But to be clear,
1: I mean, Jay-Z hasn't had a hit <sighs> in many years.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. To be fair, I am a big fan of Jay-Z, but I started to like his music less post-Black Album. Just saying. Before you folks hit on me on Twitter. (laughs) Um, We have a busy weekend ahead. We'll have some new episodes out. One on polls, another episode of Listener Mail, and we'll have a new episode that will round up the weekend in news on Sunday evening. That one should post around 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. Of course, you can always find more of our coverage on your local public radio station and on the NPR One app. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor.
2: And I'm Jessica Taylor, political reporter.
1: Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.